scripture reading for today comes from Isaiah 38, verses 1 through 8. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and say to Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and will defend this city. This shall be the sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do this thing that he has promised. Behold, I will make the shadow cast by the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz turn back ten steps. So the sun turned back on the dial the ten steps by which it had declined. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn them to Isaiah chapter 38. We're going to be in Isaiah 38 and 39 today. <clears throat> Isaiah 38 and 39. Uh, Rob preached last week. We, we are into this, uh, this brief section where we're, we're not in prophetic poetry for a little bit. It's, uh, it's actually historical narrative or, or theological history like Rob um, explained last week. That it's not, just, um, it's not just a story. It's not just a narrative where they're writing down events. Um, they're trying to teach us something about God. Um, and it's a, it's a theological history here. Okay, um, But it's different than poetry. And, and for some of us, um, uh, some of us who are not as adept at poetry, it's actually easier. It's more accessible to come in and read a story that has, you know, like uh, characters and a plot, and um, it just feels easier. Now, um, I, I hope that we are all getting better at poetry. Like, I don't think we have enough poetry in our lives. We should, you know, appreciate poetry more. Um, but for the moment, we are in, we're in theological narrative. We're, we're going to tell a story here. Um, I just want to say uh, thanks for the prayers last week. Um, our family got to get away. We went up to the mountains. Um, I was talking, uh, we, we do foster care training for uh, Collaborative, the, the Tri-County foster care system. Uh, one of the things we talk about in, in trauma um, or uh, as kids are growing up, what they need uh, are some experiences where they are taken outside of themselves, right? They need those kind of experiences where you are filled with awe and wonder, whether that comes from, from good art, um, good cinema, um, or just, you know, nature, where, where you get to go and just just sit in wonder at, at you know, what God has created. And so we got to go out to uh, the Salida area. We visited Monarch. Um, and Monarch has one lift that will take you up to the Continental Divide. Uh, and if you've ever been up there, you get up to the top of the lift and you ski over to the side. And you can just see forever in one direction. And there, you know, it's going off to the, to the Pacific. You look the other direction. There's a mountain stretching off to the, uh, to the east. And it is just, it is just absolutely breathtaking. Um, and we had clear skies. We could see forever. It was, it was a really wonderful experience. Like Rob said, this is, um, this is a form of worship, you know, um, and it was a way that we could get away in Sabbath uh, together as a family. So I, I appreciate that. I appreciate all of you that put in um, effort and labor to, um, you know, to preach last Sunday to help put things together, make things go, uh, go well. Let's look at the passage today. Um, our, our big idea uh, for today is probably something um, we've seen a lot before, and, and hopefully we can find some new angles for this, um, but this is nothing new for us, right? God desires for us to find our identity in Him. God desires for us to find our identity in Him. Um, we've talked about this before, uh, but let's look at it in this story with Hezekiah. So one thing to remember, Hezekiah is this massive figure in the history of Israel, okay? In fact, in some places the Bible describes Hezekiah as there was no better king before him or after him. Like, he stands in the line of David as, like, one of the, the pinnacle kings of Israel. 
And it's easy for us to look at some of these outside figures in the Bible and think, man, that guy, that he never did anything wrong, right? And, and I was talking to Rob about this uh, uh, yesterday, that it's, it's kind of a grace to us that God includes these stories of these incredible men struggling sometimes, okay? So like Elijah has this amazing experience where he challenges the prophets of Baal and, and he calls down fire from heaven and then they go and they, they take out all of the, the prophets of Baal and, and true worship is restored in Israel and it's this like, yes, victory! And what happens immediately after that? Elijah's on the run afraid for his life, moaning that he is the only one left that serves God, right? He is immediately at his lowest. And, and sometimes it's, it's easier to relate to Elijah there than it is to relate to Elijah when he's taunting the prophets of Baal, right? Um, Moses is this outsized figure who, who follows God and, and, and has the ten plagues, and he has his staff. We have movies about this, right? Prince of Egypt, he comes and he puts his staff down in the water. It's amazing. But guess what? He doesn't get to go to the promised land because he didn't fully obey God. So Hezekiah here, we have this story of this amazing king who is following God, restoring right worship. And it cracks me up that this is one of the things that Rabshakeh, the, um, the trash-talking Rabshakeh, right, from last week. Rabshakeh is, is taunting the Israelites that didn't your king just get rid of all of your worship centers except one? As if that was a bad thing, right? As, as, as if, hey, you know, don't you know you're supposed to have a lot of gods and a lot of worship centers, and your king has narrowed it down to one. Do you think that's really going to help? Hezekiah is following God, but here um, we get to this, uh, this story, and Hezekiah has fallen sick. It sounds like he has some kind of uh, infection. Um, so later on in the story, we're going to see there's, there's a boil that, uh, that Isaiah is going to apply uh, kind of a balm to, but, but it, it sounds like he has this infection. Um, it's getting really bad, and Isaiah comes to him and basically says, um, put your house in order. Those days, Hezekiah became sick. He was at the point of death. Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. Isaiah comes to him and just tells him, you're not getting over this, just get ready to die. Okay? Hezekiah turns his face to the wall and prays to the Lord. He begs, please, O Lord, remember how I've walked before you in faithfulness with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Right? We, we, we understand that. Like We've been given some kind of prognosis. We run into trouble in our lives. And what do we do? Man, we fall down and we cry and our tears pour out. Right? Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life. I'll deliver you in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. Um, we're talking about theological narrative. So God is trying to make a point here. And Hezekiah here is a picture of Israel who is on its deathbed with Assyria threatening. And God says, I've heard your prayer. I've heard your cry. I'm going to restore you for a little while longer. Okay? So here Hezekiah is actually representative of Israel. Israel is going to be saved from Assyria. They're going to be given a little bit more time. But we know from history that that will eventually come to an end. Just like Hezekiah's life will eventually come to an end. Okay? So God offers him a sign. This will be the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do the thing that he's promised. I'll make the shadow cast by the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz turn back. Ten steps. So you, you understand how this works, right? Like as the sun moves, the, the, the shadows change. And God says, I'm going to move it back by ten steps. All right? I don't know how he did that. I don't know if he, like, took the earth and stopped it and rotated it back this way and then let it spin again. I don't know if he just shined extra light on this one day from whatever source he wanted to because he's God. Uh, I don't know how he did it. But he gives Hezekiah this sign that, that this, is, this is going to happen. I'm going to prove it to you. So we go on. Uh, Hezekiah then writes this poem. 
Um, and the poem moves from lament um, into praise. So he talks about, I said in the middle of my days I must depart. I'm consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. I said I shall not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I shall look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. Basically, I'm done. I'm not going to see God or any other person in the land of the living anymore. It's over for me. My dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent. It's like my, my life is just illusory. It's like when you go camping. It's, it's not this permanent thing, right? When you go camping and you pitch your tent, you're not intending to stay there forever, are you? It's temporary. It's illusory. I remember one of our very first camping trips as a church. We went down to, um, what, was, what was the place? Um, by the river... It was in Silverthorne, Blue River, yeah, Blue River uh, Campgrounds, um, and and the weather was just horrible. It was, you remember this? Like, it was raining and raining, and I remember uh, Ryan and Erica Lutz, like, their tent was, was leaking a little bit, and in the middle of the night, they packed everything up, and they got out of there, and we woke up, and they were gone. <laughs> it's illusory. You don't intend to be there forever. At any moment, it could be packed up and, and carried away. And we were reminded of that on that camping trip when everybody woke up and, and finally it's dry and they're, you know, Lisa's already gone. Those were good times. But here he's saying, like, this is my life. My life is like a shepherd's tent that, um, that is put up for a little while and then it's just rolled up and taken down, right? Um, and and he, he goes on and um, he's, he's lamenting to God the fact that he's going to die. And then he turns in verse 16, O Lord, by these things men live, and all these is the life of my spirit. Restore me to health and make me live. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. It was for my good that I actually went through that struggle where I was forced to pray and cry out to God. But in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction. For you have cast all my sins behind your back. Shield does not thank you. Death does not praise you. Those who could go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, he thanks you as I do this day. The Father makes known to the children your faithfulness. The Lord will save me. We will play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. So he's praising God that God has delivered him. And then we get a little snippet of narrative like here's, here's what God did. Um, uh, where'd it go? Isaiah had said, let them take a cake of figs, apply it to the boil that he may recover. Hezekiah also had said, what is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? And it looks like when they compiled this, they, they put some elements out of order. You can read this story in Second Kings. And um, I don't have the reference here in front of me. I, f- I forget exactly where it is. Um, but this exact story is coming from Second Kings where you can read um, pretty almost word for word, this is what happened. All right, so Hezekiah is given this prophecy where he's going to die. He prays, he cries out to God, he's not going to die. He's going to get 15 years, okay? Um, sometimes we, we, we look at these, and, and it almost seems like, um, is, did God lie then? Um, or is God not, not telling the truth? Remember in Deuteronomy, the test of a prophet is when a prophet speaks, whatever he says must come to pass, otherwise he's a false prophet, right? So here, Isaiah has said, you will die, you will not recover. Um, and what happens? Hezekiah did not die, he recovered, okay? How do we, how do we square that? And Jeremiah does a good job where, where God speaks through Jeremiah, and he gives us this one snippet of truth that helps us to understand both this scenario. Um, you remember this happened to Jonah, where Jonah doesn't want to go to prophesy against Nineveh because he's afraid that God will relent and show mercy. Um, and he goes to Nineveh and says, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. And what happens after 40 days? Nineveh, Nineveh wasn't destroyed. And Jeremiah, in Jeremiah, God gives us a picture into what, what is happening here. He says this in Jeremiah 18. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do it. In other words, implicit in every prophecy is the possibility that the people being prophesied to will repent and God will turn from it. 
And God uses these prophecies of destruction sometimes in order to bring about their repentance, right? So he, so he sends Jonah to Nineveh, and his goal all along is to be merciful to, to Nineveh. And Jonah knows that God can be merciful to Nineveh. Then Jonah goes and says, you're going to be destroyed, and, God, and they repent. And what, what the king of Nineveh actually says is, <coughs> let's go repent, because it might be that this God will hear our repentance and will relent from the destruction that he's going to do to us. Okay? So here, God delivers this prophecy to Hezekiah. Hezekiah goes, and he prays, and he weeps. And, and honestly, the prayer, we're going to talk about this a little bit, um, the prayer isn't the prayer sounds like Job's friends here, okay, if you, if you really think about it. Hezekiah goes to God, he says, I'm a great person, God. Isn't that what he's saying? Right? Remember how I've walked before you in faithfulness with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. It's almost like he's saying, I deserve better, God. He's like Job's friends who, who are like, Job, you must have done something. You must have done something to make God mad. Come on, Job, just confess and repent, and then you'll, you'll get everything back. That's how it works. <coughs> Hezekiah's prayer, um, it, it, it feels like there's a problem to it. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But God hears his prayer regardless of the content. And hopefully that's encouraging to you. Your theolo- theology doesn't have to be perfect when you cry out to God. Okay? Um, God hears his prayer, restores him, he's going to live. Then we get to this section um, where God, uh, Hezekiah is going to do something stupid. At that time, chapter 39, Merodach Baladin, the son of Baladin, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah. They had heard that he had been sick and had recovered. So they go, they, they take him a gift, um, they heard that he recovered. They still see themselves as allies against Assyria, right? So here's Assyria is at, at its height, at its pinnacle of power, and they, Babylon still sees Israel as a potential ally here. So they bring a gift. Hezekiah welcomes them gladly, and what does he do? Showed them his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, all that was found in the storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Okay? Um, so here the envoys come, and, and Hezekiah, um, I, I don't know for sure what his motives are, but it's almost like he wants them to see how powerful and rich and wealthy he is, right? Whether it's like he's heard of how, how powerful and rich Babylon is and he wants to fit in, whether, you know, it's, he's, just, he's just bragging here, it's not a good idea. Isaiah the prophet comes to King Hezekiah and says to him, What did these men say? Where did they come from? Where did they come to you? Well, they've come to me from a far country. They came from Babylon. Well, what have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answers, they've seen all that's in my house. There's nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. And Isaiah says to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. The days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried off to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. So here's, here's the irony. Everything you just showed them, they're going to come back and they're going to take it and they're going to carry it off to Babylon with them. Some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will, we will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. We, we know from like this, the book of Daniel and other books that that's exactly what happened. Then said Hezekiah to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. Okay, um, But for he thought, there will be peace and security in my days. It's easy to accept the will of God when it doesn't affect you, right? Um, yeah, that, uh, hey, whatever God says, let it happen. It's not going to happen to me. As long as I'm okay, sure. All right. So what, is, what does this mean? Hezekiah ends up responding cynically here. What, what do we get out of this passage? I, I want to get two things really quick um, and then dig into where we struggle and where we fail at these. The first one, God hears our cries and tears, Okay. God hears them, and God heard them from Hezekiah. And even if Hezekiah's theology wasn't right, God hears his heart, right? And so when we come to God, um, 
it, it's, we don't have to have perfect theology. We don't have to have a fully formed understanding of lament and how that works. When we, when we are in turmoil, we can turn to God and cry and, and, and put our tears out there and God hears them. In fact, Psalm 56 reminds us, you have kept count of my tossings. You've put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Like God is paying attention to us, especially in our lament. God hears us. God is storing up those tears in a bottle. He knows. The second thing that we see in this passage um, is Hezekiah is looking for acceptance in all the wrong places. Hezekiah is looking for acceptance in all the wrong places, right? So the, the envoy from Babylon comes, and instead of going and showing them, like, this is the house of the Lord, let me introduce you to our prophets, let me show you who is going to protect us from the Assyrians, what does he do? Here's all our riches, and here's, here's all the gold, here's all the silver, look at how rich and powerful we are. Hezekiah looks for acceptance in all the wrong places. All right, why, why do we struggle, or where do we struggle with this? Um, the first one is, is we're not good at dealing with lament. Okay, we've talked about this a lot before, and, and we still have plenty of room to grow with this. We're not good at dealing with lament. We, we don't always give, give space for it. Um, we often move too quickly to solutions to lament, right? Sometimes we're even like Job's friends, and we say, well, if that person had just made better decisions then maybe they wouldn't be in this position. And we don't sit with that lament. Um, we, we, uh, we, we try to find our ways out of it. Um, or sometimes we just, we just try to stay away from it, right? Like there, um, I was talking to someone recently um, about uh, a miscarriage and losing a child. And like, what, what, is it, what, what does it look like to go through that grief? And the reality, what, what, he, what he spoke to me was, um, it's hardest when people um, ignore it and stay away from it, right? Um, instead of actually approaching it and asking questions and seeing, you know, how are people doing? A lot of times we feel uncomfortable with that, and so we, we avoid asking those questions about grief, right? And so then the person who is grieving... What's communicated to them is that we don't care about their grief. And that, that may or may not be true, but that's essentially what we're saying, right? Like, I, because I am trying to avoid talking about this, um, I am not showing proper care about your grief, right? Um, and so we, I, we ask them, well, what, what does it look like um, to support a person who's grieving? Like, like just ask about it. You know, maybe on um, they, they have an, an anniversary date um, or that, that the, the, they lost their child. Maybe on those days, put in your Google Calendar and don't be afraid to actually speak to it. Um, and, and so I'll, I'll be the first to admit, like, I'm not always good at this. Like, I don't, I, I don't find it comfortable to ask somebody how they are doing in their grief, okay? And so sometimes it's easier just to talk about other things. But what we need to dig into is saying, like, we need to confront grief head on. And we need to step into it with people and walk through it with people. Even, especially when it's uncomfortable. Right? We're not always good at dealing with lament. Um, and and we're, sometimes we even feel guilty for lamenting. There's a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations. Right? And it's a series of poetry. It's actually what they're learning about um, in the class on the other side of, uh, of this wall. Um, where they're learning about the prophet who wrote Lamentations and just wrote poetry crying out to God that this doesn't seem like how it's supposed to be. God, what are you doing? I don't understand. Right? And there's a whole book that gives space for that that doesn't give answers at the end of it. You get to the end of Lamentations and it doesn't wrap it up in this neat little, you know, okay, here's, here's the prayer you're supposed to pray to get all better. Um, here's the steps you take to come out of this. It's just there. Sometimes we just don't know how to deal with lament. The second thing, we look for acceptance and identity in all the wrong places. We look for acceptance and identity in all the wrong places. And it seems like Hezekiah here is looking for acceptance and identity from these foreign people from Babylon in his riches. Like, let me show you how wealthy I am. Let me show you how powerful I am so that you will accept me as a legitimate ruler. Right? 
We have this. I was, I was watching a documentary recently where, where these people were going after wealth. And wealth is what defined them. Um, and and it, it followed these people, and ultimately every single one of them ended up somehow being destroyed by their pursuit for wealth. Okay? They accumulated so much, and then, you know, one, one, one person, she, um, she put all of her time and energy into her career. And, and she didn't want to get married because she didn't feel comfortable marrying somebody who made less money than she did. And, and she made a lot of money. And so um, she finally gets to the age of 40, and she's like, well, actually, I do want kids. And so now she goes through this whole process of, you know, trying to have children. And, and it's just just disappointed and frustrated and gets a surrogate and and the baby comes super early and there's all kinds of complications and her husband ends up realizing that he didn't want a baby after all um, and he leaves her and and it's just this tragic tale of like like I'm going after this and I've missed what's really important we look for acceptance and identity in the wrong places. Um, it, it's funny that um, one of the quotes that came up was um, people used to compare themselves to their neighbors, right? Usually it was about keeping up with, you know, with the Joneses who are next door. And I look at the people in my immediate vicinity and I'm comparing myself to them. And that's unhealthy on its own. But now I don't compare myself to my neighbors anymore. I compare myself to reality stars and Instagram influencers and and my life doesn't look like that that perfect person who has this curated persona that that is their brand now that they put out on social media. Where that's what we're reaching for. We 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 look for acceptance identity in the wrong places. Um I, I uh, just from my own experience, I'll, I'll tell you like where I have failed at this. I was in education for um, 12 or 13 years, and the thing that bothered me most was the fact that I was uneducated. Um, every year at graduation time, we would all dress up in outfits that segregated us into who was educated and who was not. Okay. Um, and, and every year, like I remember um, early on in my career, I was, I was trying to go get a master's degree. We had kids. It just wasn't working out. Um, and, and every year I was reminded of the fact that I was uneducated. And it bothered me. It really got to me. And so I became like a workaholic to prove myself. Like I am a legitimate educator, right? And every year, you know, like the, the people with the master's degrees got the fancier robes. People with the doctorates got this, like, really nice hat. Um, and the rest of us schlubs were just dressed up exactly like the high school graduates, except for the tassels, you know? And, and it, it ate at me. And I didn't quite feel like I fully belonged, okay? I always felt this, like imposter syndrome um, and 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 it it produced some unhealthy behaviors out of it right um, this is this is not to say education is bad I do someday want to go back and get a master's degree not to prove myself but I actually think it would probably be, be helpful in some of the things that I'm doing and I hope that I'm, I probably need to work through some of that still okay um, but I put my identity there and now I struggle with this uh, um, this imposter syndrome, like maybe I don't belong in these places. Maybe, maybe I'm not, or I, like I'm not fully accepted here or there. On the opposite end of that, like you have imposter syndrome over here. On the opposite end, you've got the the, the Dunning Kruger effect. Have you heard of the Dunning Kruger effect? It's where somebody believes themselves to be an expert in an area where they're not really an expert. Um, and so we have all of these people who think that. Like, like I, you know, I'm, I, I think all of us tend to fit somewhere here. Like, I think I'm an expert in this area, even though I have no education or training or something like that, right? Um, I, I, I think I'm an expert in politics, even though I've only been a reality TV star, okay? Um, so, and, and you hear phrases like, like I, I, and, and this is fairly documental, you, you hear phrases like, nobody knows more about this than me. There are a lot of people that know more about, you know, like, um, we were talking about a professor who uh, last night who would say things like, I have read every book on this topic. There is nobody more knowledgeable on this topic than I am. Okay? 
It is very unlikely that a small backwoods college in northern Wisconsin has the foremost expert on any given topic. Um, this is that's that's the Dunning Kruger, and so like we're looking for acceptance and identity, and we do these things that we try to prove ourselves. Um, I walked in on our kids uh, watching YouTube last night um, or yesterday, and most of the time when I walk in and, and, and they're watching YouTube, I tell them that's enough YouTube for today. Um, and ultimately, it doesn't really matter how much YouTube they've watched that day; it's probably enough. Um, they'll be like, "Dad, we just started watching." I'm like, "Yeah, I know. That's enough for today." Um, but this, this, uh, what is it, Jaden Animations? Um, and and sh- she was talking about. Um, this spectrum from imposter syndrome to, she didn't call it the Dunning-Kruger effect, but that's essentially what it was. And she said, the problem is we look, we find our identity and our self-worth and our acceptance in our achievements, in what people think about us. We take all their praise and stuff, and, and we either feel like we don't deserve it or we feel like we deserve it too much, and that's all we listen to. And she, she, like, ended the video with, we can't find our self-worth in our achievements. So I was like, oh, man. Wow, that's really good. <laughs> Let's watch more of that one. <laughs> but she has a point. Like, we find our self-worth in these areas. I, I, I know I've talked to um, some of our singles who um, continually in the church um, have this, um, they have people approach them as if they're not quite complete, Right? Um, there's this pressure that if you're single, um, then you're not quite living out God's. And, and there, there was a book I saw on this, like um, ways to, to pray away the single. Um, seven prayers to pray away the single or something like that. And it's like God has promised you this life and you just need to name it and claim it. And here's seven prayers that will help you get there. Okay. And most people aren't as obvious with it. Right. But a lot of times we feel that pressure. Okay. So like. Like, congratulations, Toss and Rachel. Like, if nobody said that publicly, like, we are thrilled for you. But the reality is you're moving from one picture of what the kingdom looks like into another picture of what the kingdom looks like. And that transition, we're going to celebrate, and there's going to be food and feasting and all of that. And I hope there will be dancing so my kids love that. I mean, not so much, but, but like, like, we're excited for that. But it doesn't mean you were somehow incomplete before. It doesn't mean that you were somehow less worthy or less a part of the church or less able to contribute before. Okay? So there's a lot of areas where we look for acceptance and identity in the wrong places. So let's take a minute. Let let me ask you this. Um, Where are some places that you have seen um, some of these two things? I've I've shared a few of my own. um, But where are we... Not good at dealing with lament. Um, or where do we find ourselves looking for acceptance and identity in the wrong places? Caitlin. We talked about, like, keeping up with the Joneses going to social media. So I found myself, like, with a lot of friends on social media. But then I would spend all my time on social media comparing myself yeah. to all my friends on social media. So you don't have, like, four neighbors. You have, like, five people that you've met once or twice or went to first grade with or junior high with or yeah. whatever. So I actually started, not because I don't like them, not because they're not great people, but I unfriended a bunch of people mm-hmm. just because I wasn't really investing in their lives or concerned about them or trying to keep up with them yeah. in like a relational way. I just wanted to see, I was like, oh, they're going to get married soon. <laughs> I want like, to see their wedding pictures. Like, yeah. Or whatever, like, you know, so I systematically, I try to keep myself in check with comparing on social media because there's just so much out there. And then, again, like, you either feel less than or guilty or you feel superior, and it's really unhealthy. Yeah. No, that's a good example. That's true. So I just... Um, started a new job this month working for Graceful, and it's been, you know, really sweet. I, I really love what I'm doing, but it's been a long time since I had somebody over me, like, speaking words of approval or, you know, otherwise saying, like, oh, we need you to do this differently. Yeah. And so I think it's just a really, like, it's just a new space to check your heart a lot. And it's not something I expected. Like, there were other challenges, but, you know, I recently received an email saying, like, 
you know, just giving me feedback, like, you are awesome, you did a great job with this. And then I realized, ugh, that's something that I'm going to keep feeling like I want more of, like I want to live up to, to impress those people that are over me. And so I think that's looking, that would be an easy place to look for acceptance and identity where I haven't had that in so long. And so just to check my heart in that space. Yeah, and that's so hard. I, I like what C.S. Lewis says about humility in that um, humility is not like a, a beautiful person saying that they're ugly. Humility is not a smart person pretending that he's dumb. But humility is just like understanding who we are in Christ um, and, and not taking any more or any less, right? Like I have, and sometimes I, sometimes I deserve praise and sometimes I deserve criticism. Okay, and being able to hold those two things like it's so hard because I invest my very identity in them um, as opposed to approaching them with actual humility. Right. What else? Yeah. When I see we're not good at dealing with lament, I think of the times that I've had severe depression and it's something you, you know, you don't want to talk about to people because you feel like you are rehearsing it. Well, and I love um, in that wisdom literature, you have um, you have Proverbs, which is all of these like, do this and this will happen, right? Train up a child the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. And here's all the rules for how things work. And then you get to Job, um, and I know that's, that's not how they're situated in the Bible, but they fit together that way. Because all of a sudden, here you get to Job, who's done all of those things right, and everything falls apart. And all of his friends are like, well, what about Proverbs? I don't know, it wasn't written back then. I, I get that. This is how it's supposed to work, Job. You're supposed to obey God, and then you get all these good things. And Job, and Job is saying, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I, I don't understand. And then you get to Ecclesiastes, and it's, it's almost even worse. It's like nothing matters. Nothing. It's all, it's all soap bubbles. It's like, it's like smoke that's going to, you know, this life is going to vanish. And, and the Ecclesiastes is actually going to be the next Old Testament book we cover um, after we get through Philippians, just so you know. But... Serve God and keep His commandments. That's the whole duty of man. Like, no, it, it doesn't always make sense. No, your your labor isn't always like your labor for God isn't always rewarded the way you think it's supposed to be. No, like the work that you do isn't always going to be fruitful, and it doesn't it doesn't quite make sense. Um, but your responsibility is to serve God and be faithful in the midst of that, right? Um, and so you have these like here's how it's supposed to work. Here's an example of it not working at all, and then here's kind of where we end up. Like, yeah, sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it feels meaningless. Dave? Uh, <clears throat> if I can go back to uh, Facebook, you mentioned last week one of the, the idols that I've dealt with in the past, and it's an identity thing, is pleasing man. Yeah. Um, that, and so Facebook, you know, all, you know, Rob got 500 likes on his. <laughs> I got five, you know, whatever. Yeah. You know, it's just so easy for me to fall into. In fact, the worst thing is I'll find something I know will get a lot of likes. I'll post that. Yeah. It's just, it, it's just sad that it, it just caters to all of that and, um, and, and just sharing what God's done and, you know, whatever comes from it. The other thing I find in the story with Hezekiah, I think an identity thing that maybe some of us have struggled with, and that is kids. 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much pressure, I feel like, on us as parents, those of us who have kids, um, to have, like, I remember growing up in, um, in cultures where the pastor's kids were meant to, you know, conform to certain standards, right? And I remember talking to some close, close friends of mine who were pastor's kids, and they talk about that, that fishbowl that they're in, right? Um, and so often we can... We can take that identity and we project it onto our kids where there's so much pressure on them not to mess up. Um, that the, def- the defining, uh, uh, like what they understand from us is no longer love, it's, it's pressure. It's, um, it's fear, right? Because we've wrapped our identity in who we are as parents, right? Yeah, sorry, yeah. (laughs) Um, Just one thing I've been thinking about lately, even as my relationship status continues to change, but just I've been kind of used to being Mr. Independent, you know, being one of those single guys that talks to you about what it's like in the church, but uh, that's all obviously changing now, so just thinking about, you know, how do I be in a relationship, how do I get ready to be married, how do I navigate all that, because when you're sort of used to just deciding stuff on your own for a long time, yeah. it's very different, and some of you guys probably remember that, maybe some of you don't, but the, the thing I joke about with it is it can even be in silly stuff, like we'll be walking down a hallway and like not think about, oh right, there's two of us here, and like do a Three Stooges number through a doorway, right? <laughs> but that stuff's easy, the, the stuff that's in my head and in my heart is maybe a little harder to fix. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's really good. Tony? I've been blessed to grow up in a Christian home, Christian church, Christian school, everything. And so I've been surrounded by people who talk about God a lot. And a lot of my identity all throughout, even into my marriage, um, fatherhood, up to, you know, now. A lot of my identity is placed into what others perceive and expect from me. Um, So, like, when Jenny needs me to be a disciplinary husband, I didn't do that often because it was just what Jenny needed me to do. It wasn't because yeah. that's, that's a privilege that God has given me to do. So my identity was based out of, off of Jenny, yeah. not off yeah. of where God has placed me. Or, you know, when I was a, a, a pastor, it was based off what the head pastor mm-hmm. perceived and expected from me. That's what I did. It was, yeah. I didn't do it because this is something that I've been given to do, a responsibility and privilege from God to do this. So yeah. my identity was placed in all of these expectations that other people had on me. And so I got angry at people and yeah. things and my kids because I was living off of expectations, not yeah. off of my true identity yeah. in Christ. And it, it really limited um, re- limited my ability and my <laughs> to discipline my kids and to, to speak truth to my yeah. wife. 
because I was angry before even going into discipline. Yeah. I was, oh, I'm doing this because Jimmy expects me to, or I'm right. doing this because someone so expects me to, and I did it out of a begrudging rather than, hey, this is great. I get a chance to teach <laughs> my kids about the good news that Jesus loves them, even though they've disrespected their mom for the seventh time in a row. Yeah. Um, so it's just finding that identity. Yeah, it's so hard to keep that long play in mind. Like, I... You know, like, it's, it's a joy to be able to discipline my kids. It never feels that way. Never. Right? It's just, it's difficult. Um, but let's, let's turn to some hope. So how is, uh, how is Jesus the hero of these things? Um, the first one, uh, Jesus enters into our suffering. Okay, we've talked about this before. Um, but the reality is uh, the hope of the Israelites. If you read Psalm 23, uh, what does it say? Though, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what i will not fear why because you are with me right you are with me in the midst of that like we're not walking through these things alone and when we do cry out and 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 pray to god and we cry those tears um and and we ask god to deliver us from evil right didn't he tell us to pray that regularly when you pray say these things deliver us from evil The reason, the basis on which God says yes to that prayer is that he said no to Christ. Because Christ was in that garden praying and crying and weeping, as it were, tears of blood, asking for deliverance, and the answer was what? The answer was no. And so what did he do? Like He didn't run away from the suffering. He didn't run away from the tears and the grief. He went to the cross on our behalf. And let's just remember that the whole reason that we're here, the whole basis of our faith is that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried, then He rose again the third day. Like Christ enters into our suffering, and God answers our prayer to deliver us from evil with a yes, because it was a no to Jesus. Jesus enters into our suffering. He goes along with us. And so when we pray Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Right? And how does that end? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. All, and, and the idea isn't just like it's going to tag along behind me. It's going to pursue me. It's going to come chasing after me. I cannot run away from the goodness and mercy of God even when I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death. When you are at your lowest, at your darkest, just remember, God is running after you. His goodness and mercy, you cannot escape it. And it'll come. Jesus enters into our suffering. He doesn't leave us alone in it. He runs after us with goodness and mercy. Last. So much of our, Jesus offers us acceptance and identity, and so much of our problem with acceptance and identity is related to the fact that, um, that we fear we're not going to be accepted. If these people knew this about me, then they won't accept me. If they knew that I'm actually the most uneducated person in the room, maybe they would be more hesitant to listen to me they knew that I had a bachelor's degree like half in math and half in something else because the college I had couldn't give me a full degree in math because they didn't didn't have a program that college isn't even open anymore maybe they wouldn't listen to me and Jesus comes along and says I know everything about you I know more about you than you do and I love you I love you he goes to the woman at the well and and as he's talking to her He's like, I, I know who you are. I know what you've done. But I'm here to offer you living water. It doesn't matter. Just come. Drink. Enjoy. And the woman runs away. And what is, what is her exclamation? He told me everything I ever did. He knew everything about me, even the worst things. And he offered me the water. Right? You're looking for acceptance in all these other places. You're looking for people to value you. You are valued by the creator of the universe. And he's not just looking at you and, and, and saying, you're okay with me. He's like, you are my child. Like, I, whenever I see my kids, like my kids spent the night at friends' house, houses last night. I didn't see them. I didn't get to tuck them in and say goodnight last night. When I saw them this morning, I was filled with affection. 
my son. Jesus looks at us like that. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. Just come. I have living water for you. He offers us acceptance and identity. And it's all based on the fact that he suffered for us. And so every week we go, we take the bread, we dip it in the cup, and we're reminded, I am accepted before God. I am a beloved child of God who is fully accepted. I am the child that can run into the throne room and say, God, what are you doing? Just like my, my children so often the past couple weeks have come into my room, either sick or tired or Abriana just wants her daddy. Right? She has every access to me because she is my daughter. We have access to the Father, and we get to remind ourselves of that as we take the bread, dip it in the cup, that it costs him his broken body and his shed blood. Let's pray together, and then let's go and be reminded that he entered into our suffering. He offers us acceptance and identity, and he goes along with us through the valley of the shadow of death. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this passage. We thank you that we're reminded that Hezekiah wasn't a perfect king. And it's easy to, um, it's easy to shame him, but God, he was, uh, he was a human king, um, and he struggled. And um, thank God that our struggles aren't written in a book for, um, for thousands of years and, and millions of people to read. Um, but God, we're reminded that even, uh, even the people who are outstanding uh, in your book also struggle. They struggle with identity. Um, they struggled with placing their need for acceptance in you, um, just like we do. God, they struggled with lament. Um, they cried out to you. And so often we, we hide that. We're afraid to bring, um, bring our troubles to you. But you say, cast all your cares on me. Don't carry it any longer. God, help us to learn to do that. Help us to learn to do that in community, um, to care for each other, to bear each other's burdens. Um, and not shy away from difficult things. Um, God, remind us today of who we are in Christ. And I pray that um, we would find that identity in you so that when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't fear evil because we are able to cast our cares on you and remember that your goodness and your mercy are chasing after us. Um, God, for those who are struggling today, either with with loss, um, with, with depression, um, with uh, trauma. Um, God, whatever it is, um, I pray that today they would be reminded that you're chasing after them. God, that, that it may be dark right now, but um, there is a light that's coming. Um, and, and one day we will see you face to face. And all of those fears, um, all of those tears that we've cried that are in that bottle, we get to pour out to you as a praise offering. You have kept them for us. God, Protect us until that day. Give us faith and repentance until that day. Um, give us exactly what we need to go through the, the struggles of this life until you return. First in Christ, we pray.